Hey, good morning, FCF. We are actually coming to the end of our series of messages called Turning Points. And we've said each week that a turning point in life is when we hit that place in our life. We may not be aware of it at times, but the trajectory of our life is about to veer off in one direction or another. Maybe sometimes it's positive, sometimes negative. We've looked at five epical events in the history of Israel as models for ourselves. And we're coming to a last one today from last week when we were at 516, the Israelites had returned from 70 years Babylonian captivity, rebuilt their temple. Now we're going to move forward about another 70 years for today's message to about 445 BC. But before we get started, let's talk about the subject of today. The subject is this, it's about boundaries. And sometimes boundaries deteriorate, they become damaged and they need to be rebuilt. Now, when you think of boundaries, sometimes we feel that boundaries can be restrictive. Uh, For example, some of us feel that speed limits are restrictive. But let's think about what would a world without boundaries be like? I mean, what if there were no laws, you know? So people could come up to you or to I, they could say anything they wanted, anytime they wanted. It could be uh, anything at all. They could do anything they wanted to us. They could take anything they wanted from us. You get the picture. I mean, what if when you um, drove down the highway, there were not only no speed limits, there were no white lines, and people drove accordingly? Think about it something simple, simple like this. Like you build yourself a nice deck on your house. Typical deck, it might be three, four, five feet off the ground. If you build that nice deck, it will not serve you well unless you put a guardrail up because you'll always be afraid of stepping off the edge of it. So boundaries are healthy. Now, here's the caveat. God, our designer, our creator, has created boundaries for human beings. These boundaries, now listen carefully to this. God's boundaries, the God-given boundaries are meant for our protection and our development in this life. God wants us to, of our own free will, return to Him in trust, that is to be reconciled to Him, put our trust as God has now revealed Himself fully in Christ. We put our trust in Christ, become His followers. Once we've returned to Christ our Creator, God's second intention is that we grow and develop and become like Christ. We were made in the image of God. We were always destined to be Christ-like versions of ourselves. So boundaries are for our protection, and they're also for our development. Now, in the ancient world, boundaries were critical um, for cities in particular. Almost every city was known for its walls. You know, you think of Babylon, well, it's great walls. They were enormous, and, and all the great cities had walls. And for you to be a great city, you had to have a great wall. Great walls allowed for your, they, they kind of communicated your distinctiveness. This is the city of Jerusalem, Babylon, Nineveh, whatever it might be. And they also allowed for effective function. When your walls were in good condition, you had a degree of security. You had a degree of safety. You had some certainty. You could live effectively. So you had identity and distinctiveness, but you also had effectiveness. Now keep these concepts in mind as we go on. God wants His people today to still be distinctive. We are to be salt and light in our society. We are to be distinctively different more and more to when we get interacting with people, to give them a sense that that Christ is alive in us and that makes us distinctive. And we are to be effective. We are to be those that know how 
to serve God by serving others, uh, whatever the context might be. So anyway, in that context, boundaries become important. So we're going to come to a portion of Scripture we're going to see today where boundaries and rebuilding boundaries was a critical part of God's plan for His people, but it was quite a journey to go on. Now I want to give you something to think about on a personal level because you might be thinking, Randy, let's talk about boundaries and walls and what does that have to do with me and my life? I wonder if perhaps if you were to go down a checklist and ask yourself a few questions. Have you recently maybe felt some confusion in your life? Maybe some insecurity, maybe some struggles with self-esteem and self-worth. Maybe you've had some struggles with anxiety, worry, fear. Maybe you've just kind of had this sense that, that somehow you're not as comfortable, you're not as in sync, you're, you're not as relaxed as you would like to be. Well, all of these symptoms that I've just described are often the symptoms of someone, you, me, any of us, whose boundaries, whose God-given boundaries have either been ignored or they have been allowed to deteriorate or become damaged. You'll, you'll see this as we go on, I hope, in this talk. So I'm going to start you in the, um, the book of Nehemiah. And um, we're, like I say, we're going back to 445 B.C. But before I do, I want to ask you one question. I wonder, have you ever had an experience where you pray and you ask God to strengthen you, to give you strength? That's number one. Number two, have you ever prayed and asked God to give you peace? Okay, if you've prayed for God to give you strength, and if you've prayed for God to give you peace, what did you think was going to happen? How, how was God's answer to you going to look? Did you have a picture in your mind of what was going to happen? How, what form was this strength going to take? How was this strength going to get to you? What about this peace? What form was it going to take? How was this peace going to, going to come over you? Tuck that away, and as we get later on down in this message, we'll give you an answer to that that might be very valuable as you go on in your experience in this life walking with God. All right, we're going to go to Nehemiah, and we're looking at the subject of rebuilding boundaries, and I want to start in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4, then we're going to glance at verse 11, and then a couple others. Here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, and they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So get the picture. Nehemiah gets word from these men who had visited Jerusalem. Now mind you, Nehemiah is a thousand miles away in Persia. He gets word that the people in Jerusalem that have come back from the exile, 539 Cyrus the Persian king, let them come back to rebuild their temple. They finished the temple in 516. It was destroyed in 586, completed in 516, exactly 70 years like Jeremiah had pro prophesied. But nevertheless, it's now been another 70 years since the temple was completed and there's no walls. And 
these men tell Nehemiah, the people are in disgrace and they're in great trouble. They're vulnerable. They're, there's, there's just a bad, bad situation there. Now, these men seem to have firsthand knowledge. Nehemiah is just hearing about this. Nehemiah is wrecked. It says that he weeps and he prays and he seeks God. Look at verse 11 and let's look at what happens next. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight revering your name. Notice that, this, your servants who delight revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah, now we get to know a little bit more about him. Who is Nehemiah? Well, he was the Persian emperor, the, the Persian king's cupbearer. What did that mean? It means that he, he was his food taster. He was his drink taster. In those days, assassinations uh, were kind of common, and poison was one of the chosen methodologies. So, you know, if nobody's trying to kill the king, Nehemiah has a really cushy job. He gets the best of food, the best of conditions to live in. Uh, however, if it's a bad day, his life may end abruptly. But this is what Nehemiah said. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew who had been taken to the exile, but he's a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And he hears this, this, this terrible state of conditions that the Jews are in back there, and it wrecks him. And so he prays this prayer, Oh God, give me favor in the presence of this man today. Well, if you read in chapter 2 what happens, he goes before the Persian king, he deliberately shows himself that he's sad, which was a terribly dangerous thing to do, and he waits for the king to ask, Why are you sad? Which the king does. He tells him, he says, How can I not be sad? When my homeland, my, my home city, the place where the temple of my God is, the walls are broken down and the people are in great trouble. And the king likes Nehemiah. He says, okay, man. He says, what, what do you want to do? He says, give me permission to go back to rebuild the walls. Give me the building supplies. Give me the protection I need as I travel. And you know, give me your stamp of approval so that when we start building, everybody will know that. And the king says, great. Go do it and come back. So Nehemiah has gone from not knowing anything about the condition of the people in Jerusalem to feeling completely, completely concerned. But he went from concern to boldness. Now, now, here's the thing. When it comes to rebuilding our boundaries, let's get practical with you and I. You and I must first recognize the need. Here's the terrible truth. Sometimes the boundaries, the God-given, God-intended boundaries in my life and your life become damaged. They become deteriorated. They, they are torn to debris fields sometimes but we don't even know it. And this was a beautiful example of that exact thing. These Jews had been back. Their temple had been standing for 70 years. They had been back there 70 years with their wall just torn to shreds. They had become so used to the, the boundaries, the God-intended boundaries of their lives being in a terrible state that it no longer affected them. It just felt normal to them. That can happen to you and I. Some of the boundaries are... Um, may deteriorate in our life, become damaged, and we may not even know it. We may get so used to it, we may think it's normal. Now, Nehemiah was different. He not only recognized the need. Now, mind you, these Jews had been living there 70 years, and they didn't recognize the need to rebuild the wall around the city of God. But, Je but Nehemiah, he recognized the need, but he didn't just recognize the need alone. He cared so deeply that it moved him to take daring, bold action. 
He cares. It moves him to get before God, to pray, to seek a plan, to seek boldness. And then he goes and he risks everything, risks his life. When you showed yourself sad before a Persian king in those days, you might lose your life. So he comes up with this bold, daring plan. Let me show you what happens next in chapter 2. He goes back to Jerusalem. He makes the thousand-mile journey. He goes back to Jerusalem. He, uh, you know goes around the city, he looks at all the damage, he gathers the people around him, and then he's going to finally pitch his vision. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, that's the people that were following him around after he had assayed the damage in Jerusalem, he says, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them, about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And this is an interesting thing. No one moved. No one saw the need to rebuild the boundary of Jerusalem until this man. Seventy years had gone by. But notice what happens. Once he let the vision of God penetrate his heart, move him, because he cared so much about what God cared about, it moved him to be bold, to come up with a bold, daring plan. And now he shares his boldness, he shares his concern with other people, and notice it starts this fire in them. This is a beautiful thing. Sometimes when, when God can get a hold of just one person's heart, one person that cares deeply enough, one person that dares boldly enough, that will start a fire that will spread to another and to another and to another, and great works of God are accomplished in that way. But this is what it calls for if we're going to start a rebuilding of God-intended boundaries in our life. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6.33. He said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. Maybe some of the boundaries in our life have deteriorated and it shows itself in our value system that, that there was a time when the kingdom of God mattered supremely to us and there was a time when I wanted every day to grow to be more righteous like my, my Savior, my Lord, but somehow I've gotten jaded and that's not as important. You have to start by caring once again, by caring deeply enough. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us a great example of daring boldly, and we have to not only care deeply, but, but dare boldly. He says in Philippians 1.20, For I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. It could be that when we start to assay our lives, we, we see that, that maybe some boldness that we once had for Christ, some intentionality about seeking to build bridges with those that are apart from Christ in Christ, that we've kind of lost some of that edge. Maybe we're a little concerned about what others will think about us or say about us. Maybe we're concerned about the way it's going to affect our reputation or affect our vocation because we've let some, <clears throat> some boundaries deteriorate and get damaged. Remember what I said, one of the symptoms... <coughs> of boundaries that have deteriorated and been damaged. We lose peace, we have anxiety, we have worry, we, we don't have certainty, we don't have boldness, we lose our distinctive Christ-like shine, we lose our effectiveness for Christ. These are all some manifestations that can be the result of boundaries that are in need of repair. So the first step in rebuilding boundaries, God-intended boundaries, is we must recognize the need. Now the second step is equally important. 
and that's removing the debris. And, and this, is, this is where it starts to get hard, to be quite honest with you. Let me, let me take you to uh, chapter 4, and uh, let me read you verse 10. Chapter 4. So, so Nehemiah rallied the people. He organized them. I should have told you this in chapter 3. And they start working like crazy. But in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, that, that's the death knell right there. When, when we start saying, I can't, God has given us the, the, the vision to do something, but we start feeling our own inadequacy. We start feeling our own incompetence. We start feeling our own weakness, and we say we can't. The rubble, the debris was so overwhelming that they finally come to the point where even though they were going at it with all their hearts, they say we, we can't do this. We can't. It's just not going to happen. So we need to not only recognize the need, we need to remove the debris. And the first wall that we hit in debris removal is we have to learn how to overcome fatigue. Now, I want to show you something that was really ironic about this. Let me take you back to chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 6, which comes before verse 10 that I just read you, where they were ready to quit. Verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till... All of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Do you, do you see what's happening here? They had literally rebuilt the wall to half its height. I mean, the thing was the worst part, the hardest part was behind them, but it was, it was wearing them down, and, and they're ready to quit. They're ready to give up and just walk away, leave it, leave it halfway rebuilt. And that's because of fatigue. One of the sayings of athletes is that fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Now, I'm going to say something here in a minute, and I don't want some of you to misunderstand me. Uh, the, the only way to get over fatigue, listen very carefully to me, the only way to get over fatigue is you and I must look fatigue in the eye and work into it, work past it. We have to work past it today and work past it a little further tomorrow and work past it a little further the next day. And You say, Randy, you're, you're talking crazy. You're talking about burning out. You, you, are we supposed to be just completely burned out for Christ? No. Burnout is the result of getting ourselves involved in too many things that God has not equipped us, gifted us, called us, and desires for us to do. Burnout can be the result of character flaws that we're trying to work out by being busy, 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 or impressing others, or impressing ourselves, or impressing God. That burnout is a whole different thing. We're not talking about burnout. When I talk about pushing past fatigue, listen carefully now what I'm saying, because here's the God's truth. When we pray for strength, remember earlier, I said, have you ever prayed for strength? Typically, here's how God answers. He sets us off to do something concerning His will, perhaps rebuilding some boundaries, and it just wears us down to nothing. It turns out to be so much harder than what we anticipated. It turns out that we feel like, I can't do this. And the only way you and I grow strength, listen to me carefully, is I got to say, no, no, no. God says, I can and I will. God says I can, therefore I can and I will. Look, every marathoner, every marathoner alive, and I know I refer to marathoners a lot. By the way, I've never run a marathon. <laughs> every marathoner, they did not start out being able to run 26.3 miles. 
Most of them started out not even being able to run a mile. How did they get the strength to run 26.3 miles nonstop? It's very easy. They pushed into fatigue. They ran a mile and they were completely worn out. They couldn't go any further, but they went a little further. And then they went a little further the next day and on and on and week and months. They kept going a little past their fatigue, even though they felt it and they felt the crushing uh, burden that comes when you, you are utterly exhausted and no longer able to go on, but you still go on a little further. And what happens? That is how you develop strength. Everybody that's worked out in any kind of a gym or, or exercise program knows the same thing. You have to work to failure in order to build strength. That's God's design. That's God's principle in this age. And so removing the debris, though it can be exhausting and overwhelming, it's part of God's mechanism to give us strength for the future while we're rebuilding the boundaries for our protection and peace. Remember that prayer, God give me peace, God give me strength. Normally, the way God answers give me strength is He sets us to work in something that's overwhelming and it just takes us to the edge again and again and again. How does He answer peace? Normally, He may get us rebuilding the boundaries in our life because once the wall of Jerusalem was up, they, people were much safer. They had more peace. They had more calm. They had more certainty. They were more distinctive as the people of God. They were more effective as the people of God. God's answer to peace is often, go build your boundaries back. So I just want to pause here. If somebody listening, you have been struggling recently with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of peace, a lot of sense of weakness, all these things, this may be God's message to you literally he's speaking it breathing it out with your name on it take this to heart and move yourself into action like nehemiah did so we need to not only recognize the need but remove the debris and that means overcoming fatigue listen to this great verse from the new testament about overcoming fatigue galatians 6 9 the apostle paul says to galatian followers of christ may we never tire of doing what is good and right before our Lord, because in His season we shall bring in a great harvest if, conditional promise, if we just persist. Notice, you've got, you got to go past that fatigue. You don't get tired in well-doing, or you can't be overwhelmed by being tired. You just keep at it, and as you keep at it, you get stronger. Here's the wonderful thing about the way God works is, when we push past fatigue in serving God, the thing that once was hard, if not impossible, becomes easier and easier and easier. And before long, we get where we're doing two times, three times, four times as much with ease. Why? Because our spiritual, mental, emotional strength has increased because we push past the fatigue. It calls for overcoming fatigue. And the second thing, removing the debris, calls for is countering discouragement. And this is hard. The people say, the debris is too much. We can't. We can't do this. When you say and I say, when we let that voice go off in our head, I'm done. I can't do this. This is beyond me. I just can't take anymore. I can't do this. That can be the end of the, the victorious path that God's put us on unless we learn to counter. We must learn to counter discouragement. Listen, discouragement is a reality in this world where there's sin, sorrow, pain, and death, sickness, pain, and death, and a real set of dark forces that want to destroy humanity. You have probably watched these programs where you have these hostage negotiators. And one of their tactics I have learned is so critical 
in trying to, to counter discouragement in my own soul. So the hostage negotiators, what do they do? So you got the bad person, he's holding the hostages, he's threatening all sorts of things. And so the negotiator tries to stretch out the time. He tries to get him talking. He tries to let it go eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, two days if he can, three days. Why does the hostage negotiator try to just keep stretching it out, keep stalling? Because the hostage negotiator knows when our emotions are ruling us, ruling our minds, we can do some crazy, impulsive, terrible, foolish things. But those emotions can only stay to the forefront for so long. And that hostage negotiator knows if he goes long enough, if he stretches it out, there's a strong likelihood that the God-enlightened reasoning in human beings, which is meant to rule over our emotions, it starts to regain its ascendancy. And all of a sudden, that person that was threatening all kind of radical things says, oh, this is nuts. Here, take my guns, take me in. This was nuts. It's crazy. Look, you must learn what I've had to learn a hundred, maybe a thousand times over, how to talk myself down off the ledge. When that voice is going off in your head, my head, we can't, I can't do this, I can't take anymore, you must learn. Oh, no, yes, you can. That's not the voice of God. That, that's the voice of my own aroused emotions. And I'm going to pause, and I'm going to take time, and I'm going to just wait. I'm going to deliberately wait 24 hours. Or I'm going to deliberately wait 48 hours. Or I'm going to deliberately wait 72 hours. You know and I know sometimes life, life can look so dark and black for one period of time, one day in our life, one hour in our life that, that we're ready to throw everything away. 24 hours later, we look at it and it's like, what was I thinking? Well, we weren't thinking. Our emotions were ruling us. So removing debris, it calls for overcoming fatigue, and it calls for countering discouragement. Listen, God wants you and I to learn how to counter our own discouragement. Sure, He sends people into our life to help, but He wants us to be able to help others as well. We learn that by learning to help ourselves using God's uh, his techniques. Listen to this passage from Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 to give us some help in countering discouragement. It says, so don't lose your confidence. They were doing the right thing. They were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. They, they were doing exactly what God wanted. So don't lose your confidence. It will bring you a great reward. You need endurance so that after you have done what God wants you to do, you can receive what He has promised. So recognizing the need is the first step. Removing the debris is the second step. And the third step is perhaps the most difficult at all. And I call it resisting the voices. When we go back to seeking to rebuild God-intended boundaries in our lives, and God's got all kinds of boundaries. There are physical boundaries that God's built in. If you're not sleeping right or I'm not sleeping right, it's going to damage us. If we're not eating right, if, if we're not thinking about the right things, if we're allowing our imagination to be filled with things that, that are destructive. I mean, there's all kinds of boundaries, relational boundaries, sexual boundaries, financial boundaries. You know, God says, live off in nine-tenths of what you get. Give the first tenth to me and my kingdom and my work. There's all kinds of boundaries that are meant for our protection and for our development. But if those boundaries get damaged, we've got to recognize the need, we have to remove the debris, and then we've got to resist these voices. And these voices, their primary desire is to stop us, it's to debilitate us, it's to discourage us, it's to demoralize us, it's to freeze us somehow to just say, you know what, 
this is, this is never going to work. It's too hard. I must have been crazy to think that I need to build these God-given boundaries back in my life. It just makes me weird. It makes me more of a target. It makes people dislike me. It's actually making my life harder. Uh, I'm in more conflict with people because I'm rebuilding these boundaries and I'm looking more and more like a weirdo. All these voices. Look, look at how it happened with the people of Nehemiah's day. I'm going to read you a series of passages here, and you're going to see a process, though, and I'm going to give you the process first that happens each time. Each time these voices rise up, you'll watch Nehemiah. He takes a pause. He accepts that a process has to get started. He prays, and then he proceeds. So you've got pause, process, pray, and proceed. You'll see this uh, again and again in these passages. Let me start in chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Uh, actually, I'll start in verse 1. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Ridiculed is one of the voices. You're stupid for trying this. You're an idiot. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite said, who, who was at his side said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall and the stones. So here's the ridicule. Sometimes we start to rebuild godly boundaries in our life and, and we start to hear those voices that say, you're, you're a fool. Nobody lives like you. Nobody does this kind of thing. Look what Nehemiah does in verse 4. He prays. He says, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. So here we see this process. Nehemiah hears it. He pauses. He processes it mentally. And then he prays. And then he proceeds. Let's look on at a couple other examples of this in this same particular passage. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Notice, he didn't just pray and expect that God was going to automatically protect them. They also put up a guard. Likewise, with building a wall, you know, God could have done a miracle. You know, he could have just caused the wall to come back to existence. Some people think that God's in the miracle business. He just wants to do miracles all the time. Best I can tell, He only opened the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through one time in all of human history. The way God does His work typically is what we're seeing here in Nehemiah. He waits until He finds a human being that cares the way He cares. He fills their heart with what's on His heart until that human being takes action, bold action, risky action, and then spreads that fire to others and then does the necessary work to see that the will and the work of God is worked out. That's the way that God typically gets His work done today. I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles, but I'm just saying he, the greater miracle is what He does in and through His people that are willing. So resisting the voices, let me, let me break it down to you. First calls for this. It calls for maintaining vision. Nehemiah keeps pulling them back. Listen, God's with us. His hand's on us. He called us to rebuild this wall. Stick to the vision. Don't listen to the voices that say you can't. Don't listen to the voices that say this is going to cost you more than you can imagine. This is going to make you a target. This is going to make you a fool. Don't listen to the voices. Stick to the vision. You and I know if you're riding a bicycle or driving a car or even jogging, 
You can't look directly down in front of you without having bad things happen. You have to look at the horizon. If you're walking, if you're jogging, if you're riding a bike, you're riding a car. You look out ahead. You keep your eyes on the vision, and that guides you. That, that gives you a safe, governing reality. Looking at the immediate, it is not a healthy thing. We must stay fixated. We have to maintain the vision that God's given us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He kept his mind on the vision that I can do anything that God wants me to do because Christ is going to give me sufficient strength to do it. So I don't listen to the voices that say don't. I don't listen to the voices that seek to intimidate me, that seek to stop me, to seek to cause me to question myself. I keep fixated on what God's calling me to do. Look at another example. This is in verses 14 through 16. It says, After that I looked over these things. This is Nehemiah. After I looked these things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Now listen to this, verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. Get the picture. Nehemiah adjusted his expectations and the expectations of the people. If we're going to rebuild godly boundaries, we must not only work hard past our fatigue, but we've got to adjust our expectations to know this, this is going to get rough. This is going to be combative. We're going to have to fight battles within, spiritual, mental, emotional battles within, and we're going to have to fight circumstantial battles perhaps without. And so we need to be armed not just with building tools, the building, the rebuilding of our boundaries that are perhaps deteriorating, but we have to be ready to fight to do whatever is necessary to stay on task. Listen to these words, and I, I love this portion of Scripture from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about expectations. Chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he said to me that he is Jesus, said to Paul. Paul had been asking Jesus three times to heal him of a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul was feeling weak. This thing was, was really causing him agony, whatever it was, mental, emotional, physical, we don't know. He said to me, my grace is, is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul adjusted his expectations. He knew he needed to be vigilant. He knew he had to accept insults. He had to accept pressures. He had to accept catastrophes. He had to accept persecutions. That calls for an adjustment of expectations. If I'm thinking that since God loves me so much, He's going to protect me from every uncomfortable set of circumstances, I'm not going to be re excuse me, I'm not going to be ready and I'm not going to be equipped to rebuild the boundaries God wants me to rebuild or to do the work of God in any form in my life for that matter. So maintaining the vision and managing our expectations is a, cr a crucial part of this whole thing. Now I want to show you how this ends. Let me take you quickly to chapter 6, verse 15. It says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul 
in 52 days. They completed the entire wall of Jerusalem that had been sitting there for 70 years. They completed it in 52 days. It goes on and says this, When all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. When we rebuild the boundaries that God wants to be built in our lives, He is right there to help us, to empower us. And in fact, the very process, the very struggle in the process causes us to draw strength from Him, draw closer to Him. And so it's this massive gain any way that you look at it. Not only do we gain the distinctiveness that God wants those that follow Christ to have, we also gain greater effectiveness. We also gain greater peace and strength as well as those boundaries that are going to bring protection, that are going to bring uh, more peace, more certainty, more clarity, more effectiveness into our life. All of that is accomplished all in one swoop. Now I want to close with something from, um, you know, everyday life, a human example of, of extraordinary feats that humans are capable of when a vision is something that gets hold of their heart sufficiently. Most of you are familiar with the Great China Wall. Now, what you may not be familiar with is this. The Great China Wall extends about 13,000 miles. Let me give you an idea what 13,000 miles is like. From the east coast of the United States to the west coast of the United States is 3,000 miles. That means the Great China Wall is four times. It's across and back, across and back. Four times the United States plus another 1,000 miles, D.C. to Florida. So we're talking this wall... It's immense. It's 13,000 miles long, and the thing is thick and high. Here's what's wild. Built with hand. No modern machinery or equipment. This thing was built over a period of 2,000 years. You talk about persistence. They worked at it for 2,000 years. Why was it built? Because essentially the northern kingdoms in China wanted to protect themselves from the, um, the invading Mongol hordes. And I want to very carefully, that word is H-O-R-D-E-S. Mongol hordes, not that other word uh, that they were, they were afraid of. So they, they removed tons of debris by hand. They worked through fatigue. They, they, they kept their eye on the task. And 13,000 miles of wall stands to this day. If these people that were doing it, not for their God, not even for their own good, can do such a thing, how much more can you and I? Could be, could be that you kind of have a suspicion in your life that you've, you've somehow let some of the God-given, God-intended boundaries in your life deteriorate. It could be some, some of the boundaries that He meant for us to keep to protect our minds. You've let some of those go, and now your mind is allowed to uh, fixate on things that you know God doesn't really want it to fixate on. It could be you've given some ground with your imagination. Those boundaries have been torn down, and now that imagination takes you places that God doesn't want it to go, places not good for you. could be financially you've let some of the boundaries down, and you're experiencing the consequences of that. could be relationally. could be sexually. could be emotionally. We don't know. Each of us is different. But if you have the sense that maybe you've lost some peace, you've lost some strength, you've lost some distinctiveness as a Christ follower, some effectiveness. It could be because the boundaries in some portion of your life have fallen into, fallen into disrepair and God is now stirring you. Let's get it work. Let's rebuild. And He's waiting to see if your heart will be as concerned as the heart of Nehemiah was. One other thing. It could be that a lot of this talk is very, very new to you 
And you and I can't even start to build those God-intended boundaries in our life that are designed for our protection and development. We can't even start unless we know what they are. And we can't even start until we first know that God is trustworthy, that He's good, that He loves us, that His will is always better than anything we can come up with. He's proven that by revealing Himself fully in Christ. And Christ proved ultimately that He's the safest, most loving, most sacrificially devoted person in the universe to every human being by allowing Himself to be crucified by humans that He Himself made to show the depths of His sacrificial love for us and His trustworthiness. So I'm saying to some of you, that if you've never made the decision, and it's a decision, to put your trust in Christ and become His follower, that is the start of rebuilding uh, godly boundaries in your life. Until you and I return to Christ our Creator in trust and become His follower, God's hands are tied. He can't ever do for us what He wants to do. When we turn to Christ and trust and become His follower, He forgives all of our sins. He gives us the free gift of, of, gift of everlasting life in His kingdom. And he, then he starts to rebuild us inward and shows us how to rebuild outward. So as we close today, I just wonder which of these decisions might be the, the, the greatest thing you could do at this time to take your turning point and turn it in a positive trajectory for perhaps the rest of your life. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this example that we have through the lives of Nehemiah and the Israelites. It's an amazing thing to think that when you got a hold of the heart of just one man, you turned an entire situation around. Um, beautiful boundaries were rebuilt that brought honor to your name and, and peace to your people. May your spirit, may your spirit find us sensitive and humble and listening and eager, just like Nehemiah was. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.